episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 71. This episode, I catch up with Peter Lamb from Melomotive. Peter uh, has got a big background in in automotive design, and uh, we have a really good chat about all that. Um, Really interesting uh, career path and, and to where he's ended up. Fantastic setup he's got now and, and now focusing a lot on, on passing that knowledge on and, and helping with uh, different classes and things like that that he hosts. So definitely if you're a, a doing a build and you're into bodywork and doing some paint, you know, Peter's company, Melomotive, they have everything you need as you'll hear in the podcast and, um, and just a wealth of information. So it was fantastic to chat to him. So yeah, great episode. Sorry it's taken a couple of weeks to get this one out, but um, yeah, just been flat out. But hope you guys enjoy this one. And uh, and here's Peter. Peter, thanks for coming on board and having a chat to us on the podcast. Really appreciate your time, mate. How are you tonight? Yeah, no, no, it's great. We actually had one of our listeners uh, message me on Instagram. Um, he's Ebs Ian. Uh, I don't know if his name's Ian or Ebs, but uh, it was awesome for him to touch base. And and he'd been to your shop recently. I think he builds minis. And uh, yeah, so he he just reached out and said, "Look, I'd love I'd love to get Peter on the podcast if you could do that." And um, yeah, it's great that you could join us. Hmm. Yeah, so um, you know, you you have a business, uh, Mellow Motive, and uh, in the last hour, I can say I've become your biggest stalker. And uh, the way we normally kick off, you know, we we just learn a little bit about you, I guess, and and what your early automotive influences are. I mean, can you remember? You know, as a kid, what what was the first thing that grabbed you and, and you realised that you were interested in cars? All right, so I guess I didn't really know I was into cars until I actually got my licence and got my first car. Um, before that, I was just built dune buggies and stuck motors on things and, um, and just got my licence, got a car and couldn't afford to pay other people to modify it. So I just started doing a lot of changes myself and met people and learn things along the way from there so what what would have been your first car when well the first car that you sort of started working on yourself uh it would have been mini trucks um had hiluxes and radios so my very first one was a hilux and did um you know did started with the, the typical things do a roll pan and then a chassis notch and then put spindles in it and that's not enough and then you airbag it, and that's not enough. So then you body drop it, and then you, you go again. You learn a better way to body drop things, and, um, yeah, just went through that whole cycle for a few years. Yeah. And and professionally, like, were, were you involved in working in shops or stuff, or was it just learning from mates at that stage? Um, 
there used to back in the day it was probably when the internet was just getting stronger there used to be a website called street source and they had like forums and then so between mini truck magazine and getting on forums um and just chatting to a lot of the guys in the u.s that would have been the biggest learning curve and then i was always sort of interested in fabrication so i just met people that knew how to weld or you know had sheet metal equipment um so just ask them questions. So I never, I never really worked for anyone. At the same time, I was studying, went to university and studied industrial design. So I was just building cars on weekends and night times, and then trying to study, do schoolwork as well. And then, uh, you know, friends and different people just started turning up and asking to get work done on their their mini trucks. And so from after that, you know, once I finished uni, uh, didn't really want to go get a job, so I just kept on building mini trucks. And then eventually, um, you know, companies sort of come up and they just rang up and said, hey, can you come and work for us? So I went there for a little while. And that was doing, uh, that was doing like, like concept cars, but they were like a third-party company. So the car manufacturers would contract this company to build their concept cars and then you know they'd contract all different people to come in and help out so i went in there and met a whole bunch of people and learned a heap of things there um and that just kind of kicked the ball rolling as far as a career i guess a career path or employment ended up doing concept car building for oh, maybe around eight or nine years or so and then from there went and started my own business later on. It seems that the um, the mini trucking scene in Sydney, you know, really is responsible for a, a whole host of really awesome uh, businesses that have that have spawned from that era. You know. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't involved in the Sydney scene, the mini truck scene. I mean, I'm from Melbourne, Victoria originally. Yep. Um, so I'm only, I only moved up to New South Wales you know, once I was around 30 or so. So I was in Melbourne for my mini truck time and when I was employed professionally um, for my time at the car companies and that, that was all in Melbourne. But I, I have noticed that, that there seems to be more sort of little, I guess like little, you know, custom shops or fabrication shops that have, you know, matured from mini trucks and kept on going. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, that's pretty typical. Like if you're... If you're building stuff yourself and you, you're doing a quality quality build and then your mate wants you to do one, so you do one for him and then he tells his mate and then without even planning to, you've kind of got yourself a business, haven't you? Yeah, I think you just you just get caught up. You just you have a lot of fun and you're enjoying it and, you know, one thing leads to another. You just, day after day, you're just doing this thing and having fun and more people turn up and they're like, oh, hey, I'll give you some money. You can do that for me. So you just... You know, if you may not be set out to a business, but it just, it turns out that way. Um, you know, not everyone's got access to tools and equipment. So you start to, you know, you buy a welder or you buy something else. And then all of a sudden you, you have more friends that want more things done and it just keeps going. Yeah, it's like, it's like the old saying, if you want friends, buy a car trailer and a hoist, you know, it's like just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 
So, so with your industrial design degree, um, you know, was that was that automotive based based specifically, or did you start off sort of with something a bit broad range and then decide to move that direction? Yeah, well, with with that degree specifically, it's a it's a very broad. Um, it, it gives you qualifications for a very broad range of design. So you could go off to be, you know, you could do architectural, uh, you could do product design, you could do engineering, um, you could go different directions. And it's funny because I was always caught up, not caught up, but I was always really distracted and busy or engaged with building cars on weekends and that. So when I did my course, I intentionally stayed away from automotive, like, I don't know why I said to myself, oh, I'm not going to do the automotive in my degree because I'm already that focused, like that distracted with it. It's just, I'm just going to be overwhelming. So I just kept it very broad and then um, ended up, uh, finished the degree and ended up sort of half winning this thing. And I went um, for a tour of Mercedes in Stuttgart in Germany and saw a design studio there. And then um, I come home and it was like after Christmas, after finishing the course and didn't really have any plans. And then they just rang up and said, oh, do you want to come and do an honours year? Um, so, oh, okay, cool. And then, so I just, I did not, an extra year, like an honours year. I just focused on automotive for that ex, that one year. Yeah. Um, so I ended up with a, a bachelor's degree in automotive design at the end of it. Yeah, and, and and you were trying to not do, not do that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, and it's just you know. Um, anyway, I guess I can't can't avoid it. Just really enjoyed being around cars, and you know, yeah, that's how I just ended up with it. Yeah, and, and so did that involve doing you know like clay modelling and that sort of stuff? Is that still a popular thing that they're doing, or is it these days? I imagine it's almost gone towards more of a computer model design. Yeah, I mean. You know, digital design is extremely strong, obviously stronger now than it ever has been. The the clay modelling, unfortunately, we didn't really touch on it um, in the course that I did. But within car design, like globally, it's still, a, clay modelling is still a fundamental part of designing, you know, the exterior shape of the car and even the interiors as well. Um, you know, so I've never employed professionally as a clay model, but definitely you know, through working for car companies was were exposed to it. Um, you know, there was times when we played with it but spent a lot of time with clay modelers as well. Yeah, no, it's that's really cool. So so then you've sort of you've worked your way now to, you know, Melomotive, you you're really um a supplier I guess of, you know, obviously quality tools and then um finishing supplies and paints and all those sort of things. You know, did you did you sort of become a painter panel beater at some stage or is it just all the little bits you've picked up over the years? You're not, not necessarily a uh, professional painter, but, but effectively you are like, how does that all work out for you? Yeah, I guess it's just a collection of experience and skills picked up from, you know, spending time with other people and wrecking a lot of things and, you know, learning a lot more as well. Um, so ended up, spent a lot of time building like concept cars and basically how I see them is they're just giant they're just full-size models of cars really um you know they're just this big sort of five meter sculptural thing 
it can move under its own power that's going to get put on display. And in doing that, the exterior finish had to be, um, you know, near perfect. So, and that's pretty much just, been, you know, you just call that the bodywork, really. They had to be sanded and gapped and filled, um, you know, primed, rubs, just all the sort of standard process, but they just had to be done to a, you know, perfect finish. Yeah. And the difference being is you'd be, you know, in a studio with a group of highly skilled people and you'd be with the designers and they're all analysing the surface of the car and the reflections and, you know, you're pushing, you're pushing shape and surface around. You know, you might start out moving the shape of a car around a couple millimetres and you'll get down to half a mil and then you start, you know, you're, you're down to 800 wet rubbing the shape and you've got designers over your back going, oh, can you just put that, make that shadow go in this direction and sharpen that line a little bit? And, um, you know, it's a really pushing the, the exterior surface work right onto the edge of perfection. Yeah. And I, I just found I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, you spend weeks covered in dust and sanding, wearing masks, and it's not the most enjoyable environment, but as soon as you get some paint on it and it's shiny and you can see the, the result, it's extremely rewarding. Um, and then in that time doing that, you just learn a bunch of skills and then I always just ask questions about products. You know, why do we use this primer and how thick is it and how much is it going to shrink and just learning about the products. And then I figured just at a certain point, other people start asking me questions about the products. So I just share, you know, share all the things that I've learnt over that time. So I've never, I've never gone and done a traditional, you know, panel beating class or a course or spray painting course. Um, you know, I just, it just purely just comes from spending time with other skilled people and asking questions and reading and researching more, looking for answers, why things do they do what they do. Yeah, yeah, experience-based skill set, which is, I guess it's the same as what an apprenticeship is anyway, isn't it? Like if you, you, you start, yeah. you're studying under it's, all the different masters and you, you're taking the bits out that you that you love and, and testing them out. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's, um, I guess the difference is in, instead of being forced to learn, like, you know, you go somewhere to get educated to learn, you, you're just, you're doing it yourself because you're naturally interested in something, you just go out and learn about it more and more to a way deeper level than you ever would. Really strange, I was, when I, when I, um, years ago, a long time ago, um, after I finished being employed and, you know, got out and about, about buddies with different various workshops, and I was, I was at a workshop just helping out a mate get a car, you know, ready to paint, and then um, some dude comes in and, Apparently in New South Wales, you're supposed to be like have a trade ticket to work, um, which I didn't really know about. This guy comes in asking everyone in the workshop for their their trade tickets, and he comes up to me and he goes, "Oh, you got a trade ticket?" I'm like, "Oh, no." Nah. He goes, "What are you doing here?" I said, "Oh, I'm just doing a demonstration." And then um, he goes, "Oh, you shouldn't be in here working on cars, blah blah blah." And he goes, "What have you done?" And I said, "Oh, I just you know done this and done that and worked for some car companies." And he hands me a bit of paper and he goes, mate, fill out this. It's going to be 65 bucks and you'll be a panel beater. <laughs> <laughs>
So I kind of, I, I guess, you know, sort of like you said, it's just um, experience-based skill set. I guess once you get, once, yeah, once you have a certain amount of years or, you know, I guess a couple of decades now of doing something, you've you've learned what's required to fulfill that that skill set. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I'm a carpenter builder by trade originally, and you'd meet a lot of guys that have come on site who'd who'd never done an apprenticeship you know all they'd done is just worked and they'd learnt from guys and and they're some of the best builders i'd ever worked with and then you'd meet someone else who you know had been a tafe and done all the right stuff and you know could barely hit a chisel properly so sometimes experience you know is a lot more important than just uh having a little bit of paper to say you can do something yeah and especially you know you know what you've done being a builder um you know chippy or something like you, you're working with craftsmen, you know, same as doing cars or, you know, being a tower or an engineer or, you know, a machinist, like they're craftsmen. And how are you supposed to, you know, how are you supposed to educate someone how to use equipment or how to use tools in a classroom environment? You know, I, I'd imagine, you know, you pick up a certain tool, whether it be, you know, whether it be a fill applicator or a power saw, you, you know, it's going to take you, you know, five, ten thousand times picking up that one tool until it becomes, you know, a, a part of you or a third hand where it's just natural in your hands. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's good. So one of the things I I saw that you do a lot of um, at Melomotive and and something that I'm interested in probably coming along to a few is you you do a lot of workshops and and I don't think there's enough places that do that. But to talk us through a little bit about um, you know, how often do you do the workshops? And you know, I see you do some bodywork ones. You've had some lead lead wiping ones, which is really cool, and a bit of pin striping. Is there a a set sort of structure, or if you've just got the right person around at the time, you you know, you might do a workshop? Yeah, yeah, we really, you know, we we make an effort to do around two a month, um, and then you know, we mix them up, and it's really through you know our clients and customers we get feedback they ask us they go hey you know i want to learn about this or um this would be fun and then just because we're dealing with a lot of you know individuals and workshops across the country um we've got pretty good relationships or access to a lot of very skilled people so you know we just we'll just ask them and go hey there's interest in doing this um, would you be interested in passing on some skills? And they go, yeah, sure. So we just book a date. And normally we try and work three months in advance booking dates. And the workshops are really um, targeted. I'm not targeted. They're really, we try and just make them one day, but try and make them high impact. So we really try and get the best set of information we can across in one day so it's not a not a drawn out you know multi-course multi-night type event it's get in get it done um learn from the best and that way you know ask questions have fun um and sort of go from there yeah and are they are they i guess they're not an entry level so say I've never done any body work in my life and I book in for a body work course. Is that a little bit 
too early in my bodywork career to come and do a course or what are the levels that you generally run? Okay, so the bodywork the body class that we've been running um, most regularly, it's totally focused on a, like a specific technique. Um, so we've got these tools that, that, you know, we call them splines, they're called splines, but really splining is a methodology in how to interpret interpret and control shape or form on the, like on an ex, on anything really but you know for for body for body work in terms of refinishing a car it's exterior body work so we do this day based around splines and it's just how to identify control manipulate interpret the exterior shape of a car um and in doing that we talk about all the different products that are used so the bodywork class we've been teaching really it's a it's a it's a process or a methodology that's not really taught anywhere else. So that's quite unique. So whether you have no experience or you know you're a thirty year professional, that bit of information is very um, specific, and anyone you know that hasn't seen it before can comprehend it or start to understand what it's about. We're, we've recently we're looking at splitting that up. So we're looking at doing a because restoration's gotten so you know in the last five years it's gotten so much stronger. We're looking at doing a more like a I guess you'd call it an introduction to bodywork. So more more like this is how you treat rust. This is how you clean the surface. This is how this is what an epoxy does, this is what a polyester does, this is what a high-fill primer does, you know, this is how you mix filler, these are sandpaper grits, you know, more kind of a crash course or overview of the whole process of bodywork, um, you know, to get familiar with a lot of the nicknames of products, and that would be more like an entry-level one. And then splining, I guess, would then become, even though it's its own topic, it would be a growth or a um like the next step in how to control shape on a car yeah so the splining one will probably stay this very much the same we'll introduce another class sort of underneath that like an introductory to bodywork crash course type class very soon yeah because I, I would think you know if you if i think about our listeners um you know quite often someone's they found an old pickup truck or they've bought one from the States or whatever it is and, and they've decided that they're going to do, you know, the bodywork and they're going to do some nice paint. And, I mean, you know, how long's a piece of string as to, as to how much that can cost you if you get a shop to do it. But if you're just building a daily driver and you're prepared to put the time in, you know, you, your backyarder can do a pretty good job, can't they? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, once you, if, you, if you were to say, I'm going to paint my car, you know, you could literally paint a car anywhere between two hours to 2,000 hours. And, you know, the job and the results will be completely different. And we have, probably daily we have conversations with people, you know, DIYs or guys at home, you know. And DIYs are starting, you know, I shouldn't say DIYs, but guys have got some pretty serious workshops at home now. So really, you know, more enthusiasts, I'd say. Um, you know, we're getting a lot, we have a lot more conversations around, oh, I got my car blasted and then I put I put it in this and then I haven't touched it for a couple of months. Now it's doing, you know, this. How do I clean it? How do I do, you know, I want to do my rust. I want to do that. And it's kind of like, well, 
dude, you you know, I know I can see, you know, you had good intentions, but really what you've done has to come off to go move forward again. And with a bit of education, you can actually, like, simplify it and move forward a lot quicker. So if you know, okay, let's do, you know, for example, let's put a new floor through the cab first and then we'll get it blasted and then from there I can do, you know, um, like a wet on wet or I can etch, I can etch and then epoxy or I can, I mean, I can etch an underbody. Um, I should epoxy it. We should do this. We should do that. And then as long as you, you know, a little bit of education, if you know two or three or four steps down the line, you can move forward in your paint coating process pretty quick. Um, you know, a lot of the time if you do something and you go, I'm not ready yet, I'll put this product on it and come back to it. That product may not be compatible with the primer you want to use or the next thing. And you can spend a lot of time going backwards to go forwards. Um, you know, so there is there is a need for, I guess, information there. Um, and the thing is, there's no, there's no exact way to do it. You know, there's no, like, one way to do things. There's a variety of products, a variety of processes. Um, you know, the end result's all the same, nice shiny paint, but there's a lot, there's a, many ways you can get there. Um, you know, it's, I'd imagine, you know, say for you, it's similar to build a house. Someone goes, I want to build a house, and you go, cool. We're going to do timber frame. We're going to do steel frame. We're going to put steel beams or timber joists or, you know, the result will be the same at the end, but it'll change the process along the way. Um, You know, all different products have different pros and cons along the way where you can use them for your advantage or they can sort of make create extra work for you. No, definitely. And when I I sort of look at your um, website, um, which is a fantastic website, by the way, great. It, it you actually cost me money today. I I got on the website just to have a bit of a look and get a good idea of what you had, and and I saw those uh, magnetic copper um, backing sections for welding. And uh, oh yeah, cool. And I was like, oh my god, I need some of them. I've got this old copper block that um, the panel beater next door lends to me, and you know, you someone's got to hold it, and then you've never quite got it the way you want it. And I saw those blocks, and I thought. That's genius. So I um I spent a couple hundred bucks on your website <laughs> tonight, just getting a few bits and pieces, which was great. But but I, I think what what you've creating there is like a one stop shop, really. So I can come and do one of your courses and get my head around what I need to do from a project. But then you guys have got all the sanding blocks, you've got all the um, preparation equipment. You can sell me the paint. You can sell me the gun to put the paint on. I mean, it sounds like um you know you're really putting it all together in one spot there. Yeah, well, like what we've, what I've found, you know, over the years building cars myself, I'd be, um, you know, the information's one thing, and then I'd go go buy my supplies, and I'd go, you know, to the local paint supplier, um, and they're really targeted for, you know, smash repair because smash repair is such a massive industry. Yeah. So a lot of the products are designed, and the information was designed for smash repair, and just because. Um, I guess, you know, I had different experiences. I, I knew that there were so many products out there that were designed specifically for restoration or custom guys. And the demands and how the products are used and the results that we're after is a lot different than, although it may look similar, they're a lot different than Smash Repair. Um, 
So I really just wanted to make all that stuff accessible. I kind of just wanted to build the shop that I wish existed when I was when I began working on cars. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great. I mean, I I was talking to someone recently who who does a lot of welding on vehicles, and I was talking about Clecos, and he had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, "You do all this work, you don't even know what a Cleco is." And and it's just, you know, I I got a split screen combi uh, fifteen years ago, and decided I was going to do all the metal work and stuff on that. And I bought a $200 eBay welder, MIG welder and, and a bunch of Clecos and off I went and, you know, like atrocious work if I look at it now, but it was such a big learning curve and getting involved in all that, yeah. that part of life. And, and the more and more you look into it and learn and, and, you know, every time you're doing something and it's a little bit difficult, the reality is that someone's invented a tool to make that easier. And the more knowledge you have on, I mean, if you're only going to ever use that tool once, it's probably not worth getting it. But if it's something that you're doing, you know, fairly repetitively, um, you know, it's just amazing. And, and going through your catalog of products, you know, there's stuff on there that like those magnetized um, backing plates, like I never even knew that existed. I was like, this is great. So it was good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, thanks. Yeah. And so if, if a guy's interested in doing – um, a lot of the work himself. Um, you're talking about you, you're going to yep. do maybe like an entry level body work. Do you do you guys do like a hammer and dolly course or a you know how to how to weld a patch panel in without warping the whole thing? Do you, have yeah. you done that sort of stuff as well? We were. Oh, we just in the office today. We were just forecasting. You know, we're just setting all the dates for the next round of um, workshops. Yep. And one that we'll be advertising really soon. It's basically uh, i guess you just call it metal finishing so hammer dolly flipper file type of work yeah so where the we have we have done so we have done like metal shaping in the past so we have done like a three-day class with metal shaping where we had you know wheeling machines and full max and welders and you know everything yeah um and it's real it's, it's really fun a lot of a lot of people come, they have a ball. For three days, you just have access to all the equipment and you go for it, right? So then you got to have the reality of it. Like, if guys are at home, you know, say like yourself, when you got the split screen, you start working on it, you're not going to have, you know, 40, 50 grand of equipment sitting around your car. Like, you, you know, you might have a basic welder and a hammer and a dolly and you want to get into it. So the the metal finishing class that we're about to set dates for the idea is it crosses over into bodywork. So at the moment, you know, we can show people how to put filler on and how to sand and how to control the shape and, you know, get this beautiful finish. But you got the reality of it. If the metal work underneath is, you know, substandard, you need to use extra filler to cover that up, you know, basically to bury it in. Yeah. So with some basic tools, some basic dollies and hammers and some flippers and some, you know, some um, little bit of education, you, the goal is to be able to move that metal around more appropriately so you can put a spline across the surface and go, right, it's going to be, you know, three millimetres of filler over here. I don't want to put three millimetres of filler on. Let's get that, let's get that within one millimetre or half, or even better, let's go, for, let's go for metal finish and try and get it to primer you know, with a hammer dolly or a flipper or, you know, file and some various techniques, you can move that metal around 
fairly efficiently to get it into better shape early. Um, you know, if you can move that metal around early, it's, it's going to save work later, save materials later, but plus you have a better, a better quality item at the end of it. Yeah, 100, 100%. And, and the, the thing that I see happening a lot, uh, and I guess it's through, you know, Facebook posts that you see, you know, guys have bought, so they've bought an F100 um, out of the States and, you know, one of the panels is a little bit munted and, and so they're like, oh, you know, where can I buy another panel? And so they, they buy one in the States and they ship this whole panel out and the time and the money that they've spent on that, they probably could have taken the, the original sheet metal that they've got, which is better quality than the reproduction metal is going to be anyway, and, you know, do the work to it and, you know, there might be a little bit of patching but a bit of hammer and dolly work and all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've saved money and you've, you've learnt a bit about, you know, how to, how to do some work on your truck. That's, that's the stuff I get excited about. Oh, 100%. You know, I've got, um, we was working on a project the other day and it needed some panels and, you know, they they basically don't exist in Australia and we'll you know, jump online. We went through this exact scenario, went to order a few things. Um, you know, the exchange rate's no good at the moment. Freight's gone through the roof. Plus, you know, the government's got their handout for all the parts coming into the country. So you, you have to pick pick which parts are worth buying and then pick which ones are worth making and 100% agree with some some basic hand tools um, and a little bit of knowledge some some simple sections can be made quite easily um, you know and that's exactly I think you can see where we're coming from you know you spend 300 bucks and do a day class you know you can you might walk away and make a patch panel, but from then on, you know, every time you go to make one, you're saving every time from there on. Plus, you have the you know the pride of making it yourself with your hands. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's it's cool, and um, I think oh, I'm gonna I'll, I'd be I'd be keen to come up and do one of those courses. I, I'll keep an eye on your um on your Instagram page for that because I you know that's something that I. I play around with a bit myself and it's great having a smash repairs next door. You know, um, Ken's been, you know, a panel man his whole life. And so I've got that information there, but I think that when you pay money and you lock yourself in for a whole day and you take a flat bit of steel and maybe you turn it into a cab corner or whatever it is that you're doing, it, it's that whole realization that, you know, you really can, because I think people think that it's a, a, a black art, this metal shaping thing, but it's, the more you look into it, it, it's just physics and understanding how metal moves and and how to make it move, and then you can do it. Like, I, I think it's cool. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm no, don't get me wrong, I'm no, I'm no metal shaper, metal guy. Um, I, I know, like, as far as exterior shape, I know where I want the shape of a car to be. And for years, for some reason in my mind, I, with sheet metal, I struggled. Like I, I, I treated metal very two-dimensional. Like you know, you can fold it this way and fold it that way. Or you can roll it one direction and fold it. And for a long time, I struggled to understand it three-dimensionally. And then, then I had a good friend. You know, he gave me some basic information. And he goes, "Well, you know, if you stretch it, it gets longer, and you shrink it, it gets shorter. And just if you need to, you know, move it this way, just figure out does it need to be stretched or shrunk. Um, and basically, most most tools will either shrink or stretch it 
and it will move move the steel in either direction, um, you know, and then you turn an edge or you fold an edge over. And once, like, once you see someone do that in front of you and break it down, it just opens your mind to how you can move it around um, more efficiently. Mm. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Cool, cool. So I wanted to just touch on uh, something that I've seen is in your shed. You've got a 53 um, two-door Chevy. Tell us a bit about that. Um, so I kind of, for, for a while, I was building a 57 Ford pickup, um, and it was all cut up, and then, most you know most people that are self-employed their projects get pushed back and in that time that i was building this truck i ended up having a couple of kids and everything else and then i sort of just looked at the truck and i'm like man i'm building this thing that my family is not going to be able to get in yeah and it was kind of just playing on my mind a little bit and then i had this um one of my trips in the u.s i had a day free and I was kind of just like, fuck it, I'm just going to buy a car today. So I got on Craigslist and I just set my, you know, you set your circumference, you know, or diameter, whatever it is to, I think I just set my thing to like 10 mile radius, something like that. And I just said, whatever car I can find today within here, I'm going to go buy. And this, um, I really want to get a 55 like a 55 coupe or even a wagon or something. It's something that the family, I could get the family in. And then this 53 um, popped up and it was just a couple miles down the road from where I was at. And I actually had a 53 for a very short time earlier on in life and I always had a bit of a soft spot for them. So I just went down and it was there and it was all, you know, it's pretty beat up, but it was all original paint in relatively nice shape. So I just got it and then um, dragged it, dragged it home and started working on it. And then I thought, oh, just well, you know, as these things go, you think oh, I just I'll put a carby kit in it and a brake kit and just we can putt around in it. It'll be fun. And then you look at it and you go, oh man, by the time I do that, I might as well, you know, might as well just put an LS in it. And oh, if I'm going to put an LS, I might as well put a new disc. Might as well go nine inch. If I'm building a nine inch, might as you know. Might as well do the brakes. See, if I'm going to do the brakes, I might as well, you know, do an IFS on the front. Uh, if I'm changing the suspension, I might as well, you know, four-link it. And if I'm doing that, I'll airbag it. So, it's, you know, and before you know it, it's that's all done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's kind of where it's at at the moment is, like, it's got all, you know, chassis all done. It's got all new floors. Um, you know, it's tubbed and the engine bay's done and that's just, just waiting for me to finish off the wiring basically yeah. and then um you know the kids can smash their bikes into it and pick them up from school and just enjoy it but i guess the, th- the thing with that car is i basically spent 20 years making cars look perfect from the outside um you know just doing body and paint and making sure they're all gapped and beautiful and they get to a point at that level where you're too scared to breathe on them or touch them um, you know, I didn't want to do that to my kids. So I just thought, well, if I get this thing, it's 70 year old paint or patina. That's a bit, you know, it's a bit scuffed. They can enjoy it and have fun. And, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, cringing every time they get near it. 
Yeah, it's it's always the the big the big debate, isn't it? Sometimes with patina versus nice paint, and um, yeah, being I, th I think kids is the number one thing with that. Like if you if you're going to park it in the garage and the kids are going to be on the scooters or riding the bikes around, it's you wouldn't want a twenty thousand dollar paint job in the shed because you just have a nightmare. Yeah, I think um, as long as you enjoy it, you know. So it's just. I think it's okay to have the paint job as long as you're enjoying the car. If it becomes to the point, you know, where it's locked up and you can't touch it, then, uh, you know, are you enjoying it or not? So, I mean, you can have an amazing paint job and if, you you know, you want to have it in your showroom and stare at it and take it out to shows and put it up on mirrors, if that's your enjoyment, then go for it, you know? If you want to pick the kids up from school and leave it parked outside at the shopping centre, then, you know, nice paintwork's probably not the right choice for that car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 100%. And I, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I bang on a lot about patina because I'm a bit of a patina guy, but I, um, I, I love a good paint job as well, and I think that so many projects, uh, you know, a lot of the time they're so, so far gone that they need the bodywork, which means that you're either trying to do fake patina, which you know rarely looks right or you know you spend the time yeah. and, and and you put a really nice paint job on it and i mean obviously you don't have to spend 20 30 grand on a paint job you can do something that's um you know a relatively nice driver and you know and and i'm a big fan of that you know so but um no look yeah mate yeah it's it's just awesome to to um to hear a bit of your story but but I really urge all the all the listeners uh, on the podcast if you ever considered getting your hands dirty a little bit, or or even if you're um, getting someone else to do some work on your on your vehicle, uh, if you check out Mellon Motive, um, Pete's got just a huge huge range all the way through. I mean, you've got House of Color paints there. You've got everything, right? Yeah, yeah, we got you know we're pretty much um, for a while there we're doing a whole bunch of stuff, and then we got we I look at it like we actually got a little bit more focused, so we really got down to Basically, uh, let's say, you know, from patch panels, so treating rust and, you know, making some panels and then right up until you finish paint and even some of your compounds and polishes. So really just that, I guess you'd call it that body and paint stage is what we really specialise in. Yeah, and, and a good range of, um, you know, you've got hammers and dollies. I was having a look through the stuff there. Yep. That's something that I need to... Um, up my collection of and uh yeah it's really good to see high quality stuff i mean we can all go to um super cheap auto and buy a hammer and dolly kit but we're not really getting um you know high quality tools where whereas you obviously have taken the time to find all the good stuff and um it's great to see it all in one place yeah and that's i just that's all i really wanted to do i just wanted to provide you know make sure everything we had was good and quality um i didn't i just didn't want to have a I didn't want to have shelves or a warehouse full of junk that it was basically, you know, trying to price match or, you know, be a giant $2 shop of products. I just wanted to make sure we had good stuff. Um, you know, so that's what we do. Is it a street front business? Like, can, can you walk in off the street and, you know, you've got products on the wall open to the public sort of situation or is it more of a um, yeah, online? Well, yeah, we've got, yeah. No, we've got we've got a shop. Um, you know where we're located is kind of regional, so we do have a shop. You know, you can walk in, everything's on the shelf. Um, the majority, you know, the, 
you know, the majority of it's kind of like a bit of a warehouse online. Um, you know, we have distributors too around the country that stock our products as well to make them sort of more accessible on the shelves around the place as well. Um, so we do, we kind of do both. And then, yeah, we've got our own, our own workshop where we host our own classes, um, you know, up here. And then we run classes in other states as well at some of our clients' facilities. Awesome. So if people want to check you out, um, the, the business is Melamotive. You guys are in Gosford on the Central Coast, New South Wales. Um, you've got an Instagram page, Melamotive, and I think you're on Facebook as well. And the website's melamotive.com. Yep. Anything else that we need to know? Yep. No, that's it. That's, that's good. Thank you. Thanks a lot for you know have, having us on and giving us an opportunity to um, you know talk about what we do. Yeah. No. No. I think Appreciate it's, it. I think it's great. Any, anyone supporting the, this industry, uh, we're a big fan of. So um, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for a, a couple of your workshops and, and probably make the trip up. And and I think I'm going to have to spend a bit more money on your website, which is um, you know good for me and good for you. <laughs> Cool, thank you. All right, well, thanks for uh, thanks for your time, Pete. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for the chat. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.